Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is the 28th of November, and this is episode 137. Big show for you guys coming up. Yep. We're going to be talking to Christina Hoff Summers, a uh, very famous you know, feminist writer in America. She, we're going to be talking to her about the Q&A episode from the other week, uh, the famous like uh, where everyone just said violence is okay. Lynching well. is cool. Uh, yeah, lynching is cool, violence is okay. And we're also going to be talking to her about a few of the other stories about talking in colleges and some of the safe spaces stories, like the time she triggered a dog. So stick around for that story. It's really yeah. good. Uh, we also have the quiz. We're going to be doing Pete's tweet again. Pete's yeah. going to speak truth to another source of international power. We've stuck with another big fish. Uh, anything uh, you're looking forward to on the show today, Pete? I've got to say something that's really putting me off is that my trusty HB computer has finally carked it. So I'm stuck here with actual paper. Oh my goodness. And I feel naked. <laughs> well, welcome to paper. Like I'm a big paper boy. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And... Uh, I'm glad because that laptop was on death's door for about two years and the amount of times I thought, is the microphone going to pick up? The fact that that laptop's internal fan is like 5,000 times louder than a jet engine. Yep. And we're here. Well, I still want to fix it, so don't be too offensive. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just the power it's cord. Like, it's like when you start insulting your friend's ex and then they get back together and you're like, oh, yeah, I already yeah. said all those things. Yeah. No, and I've got a very close relationship with my computer. So. All right, well, no, <laughs> there we go. Uh, let us talk uh, the big story in Australia this yeah. week, which is the Christian Porter's proposal or push to change the laws about social media regulation. So, yeah. Pete, talk to us. What well, happened? So you're very fired up about this. I am so, very fired about so this. I'll take the facts and then we can let you sound I'll, off. I'll give the spin. AG, yeah. AG Christian Porter, and AG is what the cool kids call the Attorney General, wants to make social media websites legally liable for defamatory random nuffies. For what defamatory <laughs> random nuffies? Was that his words? What <laughs> defamatory material random nuffies post on their sites yep. or whatever, you know. Now, that was said to the National Press Club. That was said to the National Press Club last week. At present, uh, the common law, James, distinguishes yep. between the active publishers like newspapers and social media websites that are passive. I'm actually not sure where podcasts fit in this, so probably with the, with the uh, active publishers. Anyway... Uh, so he said to the I national, can't be held legally responsible for anything I say in this show. Well, if I say I, that now, I'm fine. I actually think you can. But anyway, the Attorney General well, declares he wants to estimate, uh, eliminate the distinction altogether. Online platforms should be held to essentially the same standards as other publishers. He said, there's a great piece by this on the IPA website by Chris Berg and Aaron Lane. James, what do you think? Well, so here's the thing. Like, uh, the idea is we need to extend these defamation laws to other products to bring them in line. Mm. But our defamation laws already suck. So surely like the solution would be to lower the defamation laws yeah. rather than go, well, if it's bad for these people, it should be bad for literally everyone. Yeah. And he like so this might take some explaining. This might get a little lost in the weeds. Pete, <laughs> stop me if I do. Okay. Um, but okay, so here's why newspapers aren't like social media companies, right? Yep. So newspapers, they act like, as Pete said, you know, when we're on a podcast or when people write in a newspaper, everyone involved is actively participating in what's being said. Like mm -hmm. the news editor commissions the article, the article gets written, it's reviewed, it's published, it's laid out. Pete and I sit in the editing booth and we go, should we have this in the show or not? Like we actively know what's being said. Social media companies, they don't. They're yeah. just like a. Like, you know, they're an elevated space in a town public square that anyone can get off and shout out whatever. It's like yelling at the um, town square for whatever's being shouted out. So the idea that social media companies should be legally responsible for what's being posted completely changes the idea of what social media companies are. Mm. And you can talk about how, like, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are now starting to take, like, editorial decisions about, okay, we don't want Alex Jones or we don't want uh, Farrakhan or we don't want any of these weird people, so they're already doing it. But it's so much different 
when it's the government saying mm. uh, this can't be, you know, like, uh, okay, you're le- instead of like YouTube saying I'm legally reliable for this, the government saying YouTube, you're legally reliable for this. Mm. Uh, because the government's also telling every other social media company, like Alex Jones still has a website where he's putting up the videos, but under the Australian government's laws, if Alex Jones set up his website in Australia, like he'd still be liable for the defamation stuff. It's not YouTube silencing him. It's like the government saying, no matter where you go on the internet, we will find you if you say something defamatory. Like, or someone who brings a defamatory case will be able to find you and sue you for it. Exactly right. Am I making sense? That makes sense. It completely changes the nature of the internet because you know all these organisations they can't control what people say on their sites, and by saying by making them responsible, it's going to completely change the nature of it. You yeah. Know, like they're not going to. I mean, would you even allow people to comment on your site if you're not if you're going to be yeah, exactly. for it? And uh, you know, the, the internet is a bit of the wild west, and yeah. it does have negative consequences. But I'd prefer to keep it that way. And also, so like it, you could say like oh. Um, yeah, with Facebook, it's already bad with Facebook and YouTube and stuff. Facebook are going to make it so hard for anyone to say anything mm. of any controversial nature. Like all the things like, oh, if you say this keyword, it's gone. If you say this keyword, just delete the comment. Yeah. Like uh, conservatives already feel silenced on social media. This would be way worse. Anything slightly controversial, anything slightly, uh, you know, outside of what some person who's worked in tech their whole lives thinks is inside the Overton window. Like they're gone. Mm. Completely. Yeah, and it's like so. You know, left-wing people sitting in sitting in Silicon Valley deciding what left-wing judges in Australia make of our yeah. You know, uh, free speech laws, for example. Yeah, exactly. That's not a good thing. That is a uh, terrible thing. Dumb idea. Hopefully, it doesn't get anywhere, but maybe it does. Which and it, like it, it, like as Chris got to read Chris Berg and Aaron Lane, two of our adjunct fellows, mm. wrote in uh, uh, which. Article was it? <laughs> Daily Telegraph. Daily Telegraph. Thank you. Uh, so that's on the IPA website. You got to read that. They get everything right, and uh, it's an awesome, awesome article. Yep. All right. Uh, I am officially out of breath. Uh, 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 just to give you an idea. <laughs> sorry. One more thing. <laughs> that is ultimate fault. I'm out of breath. But hang on. One more thing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. Like, if you want to know how bad defamations laws are here, uh, out here, yep. like just read up what happened to David Lionhelm and Sarah Johansson Young. Like David Lionhelm has to pay $120,000 because he said something very stupid about Sarah Hansen Young. Like, I'm not even saying stupid because it would get him in trouble with the law. I'm saying just like in a vacuum, that was a stupid thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone took Sarah Hansen Young's side when the story came out in the press. And still David Lionhelm has to pay $120,000 because of reputational damage. Like, you want that extended to more things? Like, that's where I'm at. Anyway, uh, let us move on. Okay. <laughs> As you can see, I'm fired up. Anyway, let us move on to uh, this week's Heroes and Villains segment. Uh, so the first off, uh, the heroes, the grunt, the pig, freedom, the snap. There he goes. Mid-sentence. <laughs> We've never not done a mid-sentence. I love it. Uh, anyway, that was a snort of freedom from grunt, the pig, uh, the pig that got banned from walking around a town because mm. it was a pig. Wait, and uh, we'll stand up for the rights of being a pig and by extension, all of us. So, uh, Pete, who was your hero of the week that stood up for freedom? Well, long-time listeners of the show would know that I love Danish economist Bjorn Lomborg. He's yep. had a great piece. Friend of the show. In the, yeah, that's right, friend of the show. We're going to get him on next year when he gets puts his book out. Get on with it, Bjorn. Uh, he had a piece in the Oz during the week. Yeah, there's one thing Peter doesn't stand by is people taking too long to submit written documents. Long-term <laughs> projects, get it done. Anyway, so he's, he does a lot of good stuff on perspective on climate change. So he talks about you know what might happen with climate change but actually how we can deal with it now he mentioned in the Oz during the week a new report by climate central so a new study uh, that was published last month in nature communications and it shows that sea level rises will be worse than first thought 40 million people underwater uh 
more by 40 million more people living under the high tide mark by 2050. So fair enough, that's the report. Now the New York Times reported this uh, with a with a map of southern Vietnam uh, that says that there will be 20 more million more people will be inundated as a result of this sea level rise. Now what the New York Times didn't mention, and what of course Bjorn Lomborg mentions, is that there's already 110 million people in the world living under uh, below the high tide mark. Pete believes and in Atlantis. And that, and that these people are protected by you know dikes and flood protections and infrastructure and all that stuff. And it includes countries like Holland. Uh, apparently, there's almost a million people in London that don't that live below the high tide mark. So there you go. And if people in southern Vietnam, which the New York Times report was speaking about, the point is that by 2050, as I mean, even if it happened now, but as the world becomes more wealthy, we can build infrastructure to protect people from these sea level rises if they happen. Uh, and that's not reported in any of the reporting in the media and things like that. So for talking about stuff like that, yep. and he's got like 10 examples. He's got more. He's got, he's got a million examples. Yeah. Bjorn Lomborg is my hero uh, of the week. And in- the fact that he got knocked back from having a research centre in this country shows what a fourth-rate piss and, oh. you know, What's, what did I say? Fourth-rate political and academic class this country has. Oh, with a few good exceptions. Class. I, I, all right, there we go. Um, just want to make sure <laughs> we weren't selling the all of Australia with that decision. No, no, no. Anyway, uh, yeah, well, like uh, saying that human- humanity will be able to overcome problems in the future doesn't sell papers. Well, Alarmism does. Anyway, uh, so my hero this week, uh, the people of Hong Kong. Now, this is a story we've been following for a while. Yes. I'm sure everyone is up to date with it, um, the Hong Kong protests. And, you know, for so long, everyone was, yay, Hong Kong protests, like they're the good guys. And then because the media is the way it is, and it, they've done five weeks straight of how good are the Hong Kong protests, then the, need, the narrative kind of switched and there was like the idea that like, oh, maybe there are some people who are bad in the Hong Kong protests. And like that... I don't know where that came from, but it started to get uh, put through uh, a few papers in Australia, like talking about, oh, these there's like petrol bombs and Molotov cocktails. And like, you know, it is possibly, like, it's true that there are definitely some people in the Hong Kong protests who are just there for a ride. They don't care about democracy. They just want to throw a Molotov cocktail and uh, everyone's okay with that. But it's also true that the Hong Kong protests are good mm-hmm. and that there are protesters who would look down on those tribal people and that the majority of Hong Kong, and there was like this idea that there's like a silent majority of Hong Kongers that don't want these protests. Mm. Uh, you know, they also are pro-democracy and nothing more puts that in uh, context than the results of the Hong Kong elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? 90% of all five, 452 seats were conte- contested. Almost 90% of all 452 <laughs> seats contested were won by anti-government candidates as pro-Beijing candidates were trounced. The pro-democracy camp uh, secured only about 100 seats in 2015. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong people like these protests. That is my point. The protests are good. Uh, they were my hero of the week. Yeah, exactly right. Awesome story. I don't know how, what that means for the long-term future, like what it will change and things like that. So maybe we can get someone to talk about that. But yeah, great story. Yes. Good hero. All right. So uh, villain of the week uh, this week. And I wish mine, the Howard, no, the Walter Peck uh, Villainy Award for people that have stood up for villainy. Uh, if anywhere it was going to be in the show, this is where I would have a go at Elon Musk, that mm. absolute phony for the <laughs> <laughs> for that stupid truck. Uh one of the great clips of all time where is being, yeah, 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 where the guy's like, oh, just chuck this rock hard as you can at the windshield. It's going to yeah. be fine. It's going to be fine. It's smash everywhere. Hilarious. Elon Musk. I mean, seriously, like we, my thing with Elon Musk is, as always, yeah. everyone wants to be on space, dude. It's not the most cool thing in the world. You're like, we're going to uh, put it on space. Yeah. Until you do it, I'm not sold. Anyway, 
Well, getting distracted, villain of the week, Peter Gregory. <laughs> I, I started to like him once he got in trouble for getting high on Joe Rogan. Anyway, my villain, you know, I was tempted to make it Australia's third-rate pissant intellectual and political class, <laughs> but I thought that might be pushing the envelope a little bit, you know, just doing one thing and then change, make, you know, less work for Pete. But anyway, I chose a whole separate villain because I care, people. Uh, now, the people who are the villain for this week are the Council of Durham, not in England, as I first thought for the first 90% of preparing this story, but the people of New Durham, New Hampshire in the United States. Now, this is from What's Worked This Week in the Aussie Spectator, which is a great uh, little thing if you want to read that. Anyway, the town's traditional annual tree lighting ceremony has been morphed by the uh, council into the Frost Fest. The town council decided that their event was apparently too focused on Christmas. So the festival will be a celebration of winter. They've decided to get rid of the tree lighting. Santa will not arrive in the town fire truck and the town's lampposts will not be festooned with traditional wreaths. Now, I can yep. see the look on James Bolt's face. He's not happy with this. Town councillor Sally Tobias says there was another private citizen that came forward and said that he had always had a problem with the Christmas tree, as he called it. So one person. So one she person said another, that's new. so maybe there was two. But like, Maybe she was the first. <laughs> maybe she was the first. I don't get what he's so gross and disgusting about Trish- yeah. Christian festivals. <laughs> yeah. At, at, at least like you said there was like a lighting festival mm. and the lamp, show, light, the lamp lights might not be lit up. Is there any other lighting uh, that we know of? No tree lighting, it says. Well, I was going to say, like, this is a big win for those who hate the joy of children. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You've taken away all the good things. It's not even like, you know, if you really wanted to, you could be like, look, the Christianity stuff, don't love it. If we replace it with an equally as cool atheist thing, then we can have a conversation. But, like, when it's replaced by nothing, who wins? Well, yeah, exactly right. Well, they've got the frost fest, but, I mean, the whole point of... Yeah, but, like, if there's no cool lighting and stuff and it's just like, hey... Th- that thing we like, it's yeah. now covered in ice. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I think the whole, not the whole point of Christmas, but one of the good things about Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere is that it breaks up the winter. Yeah. But they're like, no, we're just going to have, we're going to literally have a celebration about the thing that we're trying to escape. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, my villain this week is Sasha Baron Cohen. Now, people would have seen all over the internet, a lot of people, friends of my feed have uh, shared this speech that Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen gave to the Anti-Defamation League over in the US. Uh, he had social media giants in the crosshairs. He'd be a big fan of Christian Porter's push yeah. because what he is getting on about is the idea that Facebook, um, because they just run ads and because any political leaning can run an ad on Facebook, that is a bad thing and Facebook's an active participatory. I think we've got a clip from the speech yeah. here. If you pay them, Facebook will run any political ad you want, even if it's a lie. And they'll even help you micro-target those lies to their users for maximum effect. Under this twisted logic, if Facebook were around in the 1930s, it would have allowed Hitler to post 30-second ads on his solution to the Jewish problem. Uh, so, like, there's a few things to unpack here, and he calls Facebook and social media the biggest propaganda machine in history. So, let's start there. The Soviet Union and the Chinese Communist Party are much bigger propaganda machines when you talk about yeah. the propaganda that's going inside than Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And, because, like, at least Facebook, I can get a micro-targeted ad on one political leaning, but I'm just as likely to get a micro-targeted pl- a political ad on the opposite leaning as yeah. well. Uh, CCP, Soviet Russia, it's one. So let's let's talk about this. So his proposal is Facebook needs to independently fact check any political ad that goes on its network, and if he, if the facts don't add up, if it is fake news, Facebook needs to return the money, and they won't run the ads. So what, like, and then what this would lead to is 
if Facebook lets one, so it's not the idea that it's like uh, self-regulated because if Facebook lets one through, they let through some fake news, who punishes them? The government. So ultimately it's the government that gets to decide what's fake news mm. and what Facebook can run. So if you want to bring up like Goebbels with Facebook, which yes, it is a terrifying idea that Goebbels would have Facebook, but at least like, you know, in Sacha Baron Cohen's world, Goebbels with Facebook at least has to compete with everyone else. But if you make Facebook subsidiary to the government on what fake news is, mm. Goebbels doesn't need Facebook. Facebook needs Goebbels' approval as to what it can run in Germany, which is mm. far more terrifying yeah. to me. Sorry, because you got that completely wrong, villain of the week. Yeah, no, that's fair, fair? enough. That's fair enough. Doing, doing, so speaking of that specific example, I mean, they had, doing some research with this, they had really strict anti-Semitic speech laws in Germany in yeah, the 20s. Exactly. And these guys got, like the Nazis got pulled in front of them heaps of times and then actually built their support. Anyway. Right. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, that is it for the start of the show. Let's go to the interview with Christina Hoff Summers. Yep. We're now uh, welcome on to the show. Christina Hoff Summers back on the show, but we finally get the chance to talk to her, which Pete and I are very excited about. Co-host of the podcast, Femsplainers. Everyone should be listening to that one. Christina, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. All right, brilliant. Uh, now, we want to talk to a whole bunch of things with you, especially that Q&A interview, which was uh, out of control. But first thing, uh, I was watching your interview on uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, I think two months ago now, and you triggered a dog. Uh, so would you like to take this opportunity to, to apologize <laughs> the do- to the dog that you triggered? Come on, Christina. I will. Well, it, the dog wasn't on the Bill Maher show. The dog was in the audience at a very, very liberal elite college called uh, Oberlin and I was there to speak about feminism which I had had done at, at the time that was this was in 2016 I have spoken about feminism at campuses for many years and typically there would be an exchange between some women's studies professors and me because I occupy a different point on the sort of spectrum between radicalism and and moderation I'm more moderate they're more radical anyway at Oberlin, I go there in 2016, and suddenly you know, this idea of being triggered, this kind of fainting couch feminism where women are constantly rushing to safe spaces and and everything is triggering them and they feel unsafe and they need to be honored and validated and so forth. Well, at, during my talk at Oberlin, 30 students and, and a therapy dog fled to a safe space. And to this day, I feel bad about the dog. <laughs> I triggered the dog. Uh, I love that term, fainting couch feminism. Do you want to tell people what that is, do you? Because I'll, I just absolutely love that concept. Well, I consider myself an equity or equality feminist. I want to be equal to men. Fainting couch feminists uh, want protection from them. They think of men, first of all, as a monolith. You know, like some men, because some men behave badly, some men are violent. They they go, they commit the fallacy of thinking all men are violent, and they indict all men or implicate all men anyway. And and uh, they're constantly seeking protection from male vulgarity. Uh, now, it's one thing to have laws which we must, and I fought for them as a feminist. The laws against harassment, and certainly better. Uh, in, in, you know, ways to enforce laws against sexual violence. I'm not talking about protecting women from crimes. I'm talking about protecting women from from jokes or for women, you know, young women who think that they're they're going to be triggered or threatened if if you know they have to read 
the great Gatsby, and there's a scene of violence in the book that will be triggering them. And you know, this this culture of fragility that has been done in the name of feminism, and that's not my feminism. My feminism is about equality, strength, empowerment, not running off to uh, and acting like a delicate, fragile little bird. All right, we'll get into that a little bit more in a second, but I do want to grab your opinion on that Q&A episode. We did talk about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. Did that make waves in America? Because I did notice you tweeted about that, I believe. Well, it triggered me. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Actually, I have to tell you, I haven't, I've seen a lot of crazy things, but um, you would not see that um, on uh, public television in the United States. I mean, the, 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 those women were so extreme, calling for violence, and uh, there was that visiting journalist who, who uh, Mona at, at El Tahawi, I guess her name is, El Correct, yeah. an Egyptian American, and she was, she says, I want the patriarchy to be scared, and she was carrying on about how, you know, she didn't believe in the police. So, but she still thought that women had to start, you know, taking things into their own hands. So she was advocating vigilante justice, and then they and throwing around. Oh, and, the, and nobody on the panel, not one person. I think later I read that one member who'd been pretty quiet uh, was sorry she hadn't spoken up, but no one spoke up. Not the moderator. I think it was Fran Kelly. The other women escalated. And, and and thought it was, a, it was actually a good idea for women to use violence. Now, that is so insane and so antisocial and regressive. It's almost as if feminism is being replaced by a kind of barbarism. Christina, you did mention that was a very extreme panel. One of the things that annoys me a little bit about feminism is that people that are more moderate, as you describe yourself, uh, more moderate feminists, don't seem to get a look in. So that's they've assembled a panel that's meant to talk about feminism, but they've, there's no balance to it. There's no people like yourself. There's no people that uh, – women that work at our organisation that also should have been included in a panel like that. Why do you think that, that is? Why do you think the extreme end of the spectrum seems to get such a bigger look in than, um, than people like yourself? I don't know why that happens at, at ABC, and uh, for example, it, it's um, like with, with, I visited Australia last spring to debate Roxine, uh, Roxanne Gay, and the ABC, I think the show The Drum, they had Roxanne on, but didn't have me on. And uh, I was interviewed by um, this uh, the Sydney News, and they interviewed me as if I was, I mean, they didn't interview me. They interviewed her and characterized me as some kind of uh, dangerous, far-right uh, deviant. <laughs> and um, it was ridiculous. So something's, something's strange, I think, with your media there. That's a, I mean, I haven't seen anything quite that imbalanced. And as you said, they, they could have called someone from any number of organizations, liberal feminists. These women were the most radical, more radical than that, you implode. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because uh, Frank Kelly, who was the host of the episode, later had to apologize, thinking like, oh, one of them was bound to come out against the concept of vigilante justice roaming the streets, but no one did. So I think they just completely missed that. Um, the other thing I want to ask, so... 
episodes like that, we have five people saying that things are so bad for women in the West right now that we like the only solution we are left with is vigilante justice. You know, marauding gangs roaming the streets trying to find people and hurt them. Now, this isn't where you know, like I'm not saying things are perfect out there, obviously, but like we're certainly not a vigilante justice. Uh, need so what is this what what is this long-term effect going to be for all the young women who watch these episodes uh hear these debates and sort of go oh maybe it is bad for us out there like is is there a long-term psychological aspect to this well and uh these women are in a gender war and as they say in all wars the first casualty is truth and truth has been sacrificed to propaganda in this feminist crusade. They use statistics of their own or, you know, what I would call advocacy statistics, studies done by people out to, you know, pr- you know to promote a cause rather than to find the truth. And so uh, I heard from the panel that, uh, like, that the journalist was say- uh, Mona El-Fahui was saying that you know, we, we are getting killed and we're getting battered and we're getting beaten. Well, it's true there are still crimes going on. Um, if it, you know, probably more men are getting killed and and if it's typical in the United States, men are more likely to be uh, victims of homicide. But apart from that, um, it's still small numbers and relative to the population. She, but she's acting like these crimes are illustrative of. The criminals are illustrative, of, you know, are, are, are sort of standards, tokens of the of every man, and that uh, I mean, she's living in. This is a distortion of reality, so distorted. I, <laughs> Australia may have its problems. The United States has probably more problems than, uh, for as far as crime is concerned. But I mean, compared to what? Compared to what? What is she thinking? I mean, I, I'm speechless, I'm, and I'm, I'm I'm babbling because it's so extreme to think of, you know, contemporary Australia as, a, you know, deadly dangerous for the for the average woman. I mean, it's just not true. Uh, you're definitely not babbling. You're definitely making more sense than any person on the Q and A show that episode. But uh, and pretty much any episode, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but like, th- what I'm trying to get at is, you know, there's like a whole generation of young women out there, and if they, you know, if some of them watched Q and A and they didn't, you know, check Twitter the next day to see the one panelist that was like, actually, maybe vigilante justice isn't the way to go. They're only fed that narrative. That's their only sort of look into the debate they're going to have like a completely warped sense of like, you know, they're going to be too scared to walk out on the streets. They're too scared to go out at night. Like, is that the message we want to be promoting? Well, you know, here's what I think. I think here's what happens is there are going to be some who will respond that way. There are going to be others, a majority of sensible people who are going to listen and know at some level that this is just out of control rhetoric. And they are going to think, uh, less of feminism. And in fact, if you look at most polls in, I've seen them in Australia, I've seen them in England, uh, and I've seen them in the United States. The majority people, pollsters ask, do not identify as feminist. Uh, you get rather small numbers, and the number one reason given is that people think it's too radical, and that the, the kinds of feminism we have today uh, are not feminism at its best. 
So how do we achieve that, Christina? We've talked today about a more liberal feminism and there's certainly issues out there that warrant talking about in regards to women uh, and that I think most people would be prepared to get on board with a discussion about that um, without, you know, upending the whole system. So how do we achieve a more liberal feminism? Well, the first thing is to uh, find out, Get I, I stress this a lot, I have a, a video series called The Factual Feminist, and the first thing I, in almost every video I say, that you can't help people with twisted statistics and spin and hyperbole. If you want to help women who are at risk for violence, if you want to help women or anyone at risk of injustice, Get your facts straight. Get some good research. And don't go with the most uh, sort of, you know, just, just, just what happens is these, I don't know what came first, like their their credulousness uh, for feminist propaganda, and that caused them to be radical, or they were just radical and they were open to the propaganda. Uh, I don't know what came first, but what I do know is that it's, um, that young women have to be, if you want to do anything to advance women, you've got to have good research and stop this constant flow of propaganda. And this propaganda is discouraging to young women. Either they're sensible and it turns them off feminism altogether, which isn't a good thing, or they believe it. And then they think the whole world is rigged against them. Now, to be a young woman, especially a college young woman, in, in Melbourne or in Sydney or any major city in the United States is to be privileged across ethnicities, across races. It's to be, it's to have more power and to be more self-determining than almost any woman in history. That is not the moment you sweep down and tell her with this fainting catch feminism and tell her that the world is out to get her. It's not. Brilliant. All right, uh, Christina Hoff-Summers, uh, for anyone that's listening like on a speakerphone and their dog's acting up, uh, we apologise. Apparently, Christina has that effect on dogs. But anyway, Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the show. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Christina. Okay, we've got another round of Hey, What Did We Miss? in the Young IPA Quiz. Big round this week. A lot of big hitters on the, uh, the IPA's media circuit. Thank you. Uh, so we have Director of Policy, Gideon Rosner, returning champion. So there if he can go. be provided with the crown. Put the crown on, mate. Well done, Look at that. Well done. That's well done. very regal. <laughs> I feel very regal. i got to say, it does suit him. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. throwing it out there. It's a, comp- it's a complimenting deal. Oh, Paddy oh, couldn't nice. get it on his head last week, but it just oh, sits no. there very nicely with young Gideon. That's yes. right. I, I came out and tried it on earlier, walked around <laughs> and checked myself out in the mirror. Yeah, got it, Didn't brought it into the... With the crown on yeah. next yeah. time around. Yeah. All right, we also have the IPA's media's uh, spin doctor, yeah. I want to say, Evan Mulholland. Welcome to the uh, quiz. Thanks for having me, I prefer muckraker. Muckraker? Spin as good as well. Danny Muck? Uh, not quite. Not right. And then, of course, the roof CEO, Peter Gregory. Get, good uh, to see you, everyone. <laughs> wow. I'm just going to take that again. Yeah, I've been I'm on not the, letting you. But I've been you on the show for 40 minutes, but good to see you. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, cool. So we've got uh, nine questions coming up. We get one point on for correct answers, one point off for incorrect answers. Then a who am I with the 54321. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Buzz is our first name, so let's go around. Gideon. Gideon. Good. Evan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I like getting into Buzzle character wars. as someone in question seven and two behind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really trying to get it out quickly. Roof, roof. Roof, roof. Uh, very confident and assured roof, roof. That oh, one. I'm going to win. All right, sweet. Uh, let us go to question one. Which band isn't touring their latest album? Evan. Be- oh. 
Coldplay. Coldplay is correct. Mm. Uh, the rake of fears of climate change. Uh, I'm very annoyed at that. I've, I've been to every single Coldplay tour and uh, and won't be going to this one because they're. You've kind of dubbed on yourself there. I, as I have earlier in the show, I've defended Coldplay's first three albums, but uh, I've, you've told yourself with it's still going, still going. All these albums later. Yep. Uh, still so, I mean, you're, you're really feeling the effects of climate change, Evan. You I can't know. go and see Coldplay. You're the victim here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to say how dare you. Money to, 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 yeah, all right. No. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's speech, uh, which went all around the world this week, uh, was given to which society? Gideon. Gideon. Oh. oh, I'm going to pay Gideon. I want to say the... Controversially. Anti-Defamation League. It was in... Ah, that's good. I was going to say that. Guess. And it was an unhinged rant from beginning to end. Wasn't it just? Yeah. Uh, yeah not the good I'm, kind of unhinged rant, the kind oh. that I engage in. <laughs> the bad kind. I was going to say CCP, so I'm glad you jumped in then, Gideon. Yeah, yeah. very good. All right. Uh, how much money was Sarah Hansen Young awarded for? Uh, awarded- Boom. This is the wise the raker. 120,000. No, that is correct. Evan's all over it. All right, for a bonus point, what uh, what did he say? No, I don't. Absolutely do not answer that. Nope. Uh, I don't want to get sued for $120,000. Uh, what went wrong at Elon Musk's unveiling Gideon. of... He... Have I got a single question out yet? <laughs> no, no. This is just a very competitive, uh, competitive. game. The, the stakes have yeah. been raised. No, what happened was he, he had some sort of um, ball bearing or something and he smashed the... The window of the car. Yeah. Oh, the oh, crown has fallen off. off. That is a bad omen. <laughs> yeah. a bad omen. Have so you lost the crown? Because he, he's right so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he, he, he attempted to show that the windows can't be shattered and they both did. Uh, yes. I am going to pay it because I was going for the window shattered. It wasn't Elon Musk. It was just like some bloke in the crowd or something like oh, that. Yeah, but, but he was just like, uh, hey, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> throw it as hard as he can and uh, it yeah. smashed. <laughs> the unbreakable windscreen. Yeah. yeah. That's not right. what you well, it didn't smash. Com- it didn't shatter. It, just, yeah, it was a big. Uh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, it hurt. Uh, all right. According to our new report released on Wednesday, the Trump. Ooh. Oh no, wait. What? Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, the Trump administration's red tape reduction agenda. How much cost-wise has Trump overseen in reduction to the cost of red tape since Evan. 2017? Close to the pin. Might not have to be. Evan. Uh, is it 38 billion? Okay, let's go closer to the pin. <laughs> <laughs> you go. You go, King Gideon. Um, uh, oh, 50 billion. 45 billion. Pete gets it 45.6. Oh. 45.6. Actually, I, was that an Australian dollar? Because the media release had both. Uh, it was the one that said 45.6. That one. <laughs> that one. Did, that one did you do a big interview on this earlier? I did, way? but yeah. I was going in Australian dollars. Anyway. Oh. Well, he's president of America, mate. So. Yeah. Well, we had Australian dollars in the room. Uh, yeah, if there's, only, there's only one person that's allowed to bring American things into an Australian podcast, and that's me. Uh, now, what was the name of the Westpac CEO that stood Gideon, down? I got, I got it first. Clear love. <laughs> we can play yeah. the tape again, I, but it was Brian Hansen. I'm just really enjoying the fact that I've <laughs> just cut myself off halfway through a sentence. So yeah, yeah. get in. Yep. Brian Hansen. Uh That is correct. So what actually happened with this guy? Uh, Someone's going to need to explain it to me. I've seen like 15 different headlines about so, it. So, I mean, he obviously presided over the big, you know, snafu failing to uh, comply with money laundering regulations and breaching that uh, something like 23 million times. But I think the nail in the coffin was when he said, um, he said, oh, look, you know, it's bad, but it's not like Enron. So, you know, we'll just, we'll get through this. Yeah, he said something, something along the lines I think when, of, allegedly said something along the lines of, it'll go over people's heads. Like, yeah. People I, I think, I think. And when, that was late. I think, I think when, when something happens and you, you put in two piles, Enron and not Enron, and yeah. you're happy with anything that's in the not Enron category, I think mm. you're not, 
You're not really running the tightest ship as CEO. Yeah. Well, you know, it might be well, to be honest, when Australian banking is as regulated it is and there's only ever going to be four, you only actually have to care about when it is and one. Yeah, yeah, that's It's just like, well, the others are doing just as bad. Like, all of yeah. us are charging dead people accounts. Like... Uh, you know, until we get to end one, we're fine. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of the Chinese spy who confessed to the Australian Evan- media? Oh. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> this is what you answered. No, no. Well, it wasn't technically a spy. It was a Nick Tung is the, is the, the guy that um, was murdered, but it's... Uh, uh, oh, there's a time limit here. Uh, How long show, mate? It's like Ling Chung. Uh, oh, that's a surname. <laughs> Wang Ling Chung. So we can't yeah. play closest to a pin with names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was um, well, James anyone else McGee. Yeah, no, oh, there I, we go. I was going to say Sam Destiari. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, what app was just banned in London this Evan. week? Uber. Uber. Jeez, really? That's terrible. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's so a report came out that there was like uh, all these people who'd signed up to fake accounts or it was like, hey, mate, can I jump into your Uber uh, driver profile for tonight so I can earn some money and then you send it to me or something like that. Yeah. And uh, Sadiq Khan, not a fan of Uber in general, and he is banned Uber. As if taxi Which is terrible for lots that. of low-income people, exactly. particularly from migrant backgrounds that are on the Uber app. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a terrible idea, but uh, part of the course for good old Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan, uh, himself in glory once again. Okay, so quick score check. Evan is on four, Gideon is on three, Pete is on one. We are yet to have an incorrect answer in this quiz. Uh, it is being this a is competitive. This is a good quiz, yeah. And I've yet to be able to finish a sentence. It's like a family dinner. Uh, what is the <laughs> highest album's, What was the highest selling album of this decade? We're going to be splicing a few of these kind of questions in as we count down to 2020. Highest selling album of this, <laughs> this decade. decade. Get me a job at Channel 9. That was a very seamless. I want to have a stab, but I don't want to get it wrong. I want to have a stab, but I don't want to get it wrong. Well, that's that's the choice you've got to make. But I'll lose the point. Someone's going to have to do something. You sure don't mean most streamed album this decade? No, most down. Well, most high Purchased. Okay, all right. I would never claim. Okay. I don't listen to popular music. All right, so the question is over. No one's going to get the point, but Evan... If you were to have guessed, no point off. Maybe like 1989 from Taylor Swift. Uh, you point oh, off forever. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it was uh, 21 by Adele. Uh, okay, yep. All right. Which uh, was pretty She's big. She's genius, that woman. Uh, all right, so uh, score check once again She's as deeper. we're coming in to the Who Am I. Evan is on four. Gideon is on three. Peter is on one. I Pat had a tactic of waiting until the Who Am I. All right, uh, Who Am I? I was born 95 years ago this Saturday. Ooh. Anyone want to take a guess? What, how far behind am I? Four, three points. No, I'm going to guess now. No way. No way. <laughs> and a nation weeps. <laughs> 95, yeah, i got nothing. 95? No, All right, nice. we move on to the four points. I first held political office in the US in 1966. American. There you go. <laughs> so you've got to think of someone who's 95 66. and Americans. <laughs> Be taking my note of think out loud to heart. <laughs> Yeah, that means no. I can still wait it till the next one and push it to a tiebreaker. All right. All right, next. Anyone else? <laughs> All right. Sorry, three points. Pete needs this to get the tiebreaker. Yeah, I have a guess. Is all right. This I've been both vice president and president. Gideon. 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 Oh. Richard Nixon. Uh, incorrect. No. Oh. Gideon. Point off. Rev Seal. Rev Seal. George Bush. Which Senior. Oh, there we go. Ah. All right. So Pete has got it right. I. Do not have a <laughs> tiebreaker question. Why don't you ever come prepared, James? Well, Pete, 
peek behind the curtain for the people at home. This quiz was kind of pushed together <laughs> like pretty quickly. We moved things up in the schedule. So that's right. I uh, just win? Wait, so am I, no, am I in this or no, I've dropped out? Uh, it's, uh, it's Pete and Ev okay. off for a tiebreaker. Well, it's been real, guys. And I do not have a question. So we're just going to go to uh, a one of those. Rock we'll be right back. Okay, so I haven't learned my lesson, <clears> and we are back, and uh, Pete is providing me with a dunce hat. Yeah, he's the dunce hat, uh, Mr. Dunce Man. I am not going to wear it, because uh, as we discovered last time, my head is just way, 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 way too big. To no one would fit. notice if you didn't just tell thousands of yeah. people. Look, if phrenology was a thing, I would be your god king, oh. right? Uh, <laughs> I, all right. Uh, this is going to be uh, quite easy, and not because I just struggle to find, run around the internet. Uh <sighs> to find this one. So I'd really get your buzzers going. I'd really get your first <clears> names <throat> on the tip of your lips because Weird. this is going to need to be said very quickly. What role? Roof, roof. There we go. Melbourne. <laughs> Incorrect. Pete, Evan wins a quiz. No, he's no. going to get it right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, chance to steal. Chance to steal. I'm going to hear the question. All right. What role in the government? I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have this back in. Uh, no, all right. What fine. role in the government? Does Kristen Porter serve? Evan. Evan. Uh, yeah. Attorney General. There we go. That's it. Evan, Evan, wins. Evan wins. Here's a crown. King Congratulations. Here's a dunce hat, Pete. Thank you, everyone. Ooh, no, oh, it was worth a shot. He nearly did it. Okay, anyway, uh, we have more show for you coming up after this. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. Sorry you didn't win the quiz, Pete. Uh, but that's right. That's all right? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some stuff uh, that made us laugh this week. Yeah. And I think we have the return of one of uh, my new favourite segments that we yeah. do here at the show, uh, Pete's Tweet, where That's right. Pete speaks truth to power through uh, the world's equalising platform of Twitter. For now, the yeah. world's equalising platform of Twitter. Twitter might be able to publish this stuff soon. So uh, who did we Oops. tweet at first? We tweeted Donald to Donald Trump, Trump to get him on the show. Uh, didn't go too well. Let's <laughs> well, look, well, but, we don't know, know how close we got. We might have been real close. Maybe but. it got discussed at the highest of circles, yeah. uh, but we'll see. Maybe, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Like, there's that quote, like, we still don't know the impact of the French Revolution. Yeah. We still don't know the impact of Pete's first tweet. Exactly right. So, Peter J. Gregory 3, that's the handle, follow him. Good content. <laughs> yeah. I should improve Some the content. content. But, uh, Some content. Yeah. Yeah. Verging on good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk to another power this week. So, Pete, talk us through it. Yeah. So, as, so as we said, Donald Trump, this week we're doing Prince Charles. Mm -hmm. So, a very powerful person as well. Uh, during this week in New Zealand, said... We have, I'm afraid, reached a defining moment in human history, a tipping point at which we'll have the ability to change course, but really only in the next 10 years. It's a very small window after which there may be no going back. So obviously he's talking about climate change. Yeah. Now, James, this reminded me of a very famous quote that uh, Prince Charles made almost exactly 10 years ago. Uh, I'm worried about the way this one's going because he's had some, he's had a fair few famous quotes from 10 years ago. <laughs> it has. So he said in 2009, we have just 96 months to avert irretrievable climate and ecosystem collapse. Now, I couldn't find Prince Charles on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not there. Oh, I owe you. I owe you a pint. Did you, did, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we had a bet about whether he was there or not, and he's not. But, but his house is. His house is. Tweeted can the house. Tweet. So his house is Clarence House. Yep. That's and a lifestyle of the super rich and famous. This house tweets. Yeah, yeah. And it sends photos and updates on what the prince is doing. So we're going to tweet at Clarence House. Yep. And now you have a suggestion, but my suggestion is, hey, Clarence House, Yep. please tell Prince Charles that his prince, uh, his speechwriter is dogging him mm -hmm. and is just cut and pasting old speeches <laughs> and putting them in new speeches. I was going to say, at least there's a little bit of conservatism these days. He's gone from 96 months to 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he realised he went a bit too hard too early. Yeah. 
Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Uh, that, well, it's better than anything I had, so okay. let's go with that. Uh, but while you type that out, yeah. there's a few things I wanted to talk about with this story. So Prince Charles, he's in, uh, you know, he's on tour to learn more about climate change, to talk to locals and stuff. Do go on. Uh, and he was doing this at the same time the Prince Andrew's famous interview happened. And he's, and this report that came out of the Telegraph in the UK was that he's come back to the UK absolutely steaming that this Prince Andrew interview has overshadowed his important work on climate change because yeah. the world shakes when Prince Charles talks about climate change. Yeah. Um, and apparently Prince Andrew is being summoned – or no, he's going to this house. Uh, Prince Charles is going to this house uh, – with Prince Andrew to talk to him about why he did the interview and why he overshadowed it. Yeah. Now, I need that live stream tomorrow. I need to see it. I need to see these two titans of intellect locking horns. Yeah. All right, so have we sent the tweet? We've got uh, it all typed out? Yeah, we've got it all typed out. I'm going to press tweet. tweet. So, hey, Clarence House, please tell Prince Charles his speech writing is dogging him and cut and pasting old speeches. Cheers, RS. Yeah, but it does give them the middleman of being able to be just via the speech writer and Prince Charles keeps just highs and you want to get away with it. I think that must be what's happening. Saying Prince Charles doesn't write his own uh, speeches? I'm saying that. That is a damaging accusation. All right, right, that is it. The Pete's tweet has been launched and now we wait. Okay. Uh, All right, so... change the world. Another segment we want to do. So... I don't think there's anyone capable in the UK at the moment of actually being able... What was that? That was a weird body movement for the people watching on YouTube. Uh, Anyway, no one in the UK is able of giving uh, giving a good interview these days. It just seems to be like interviews are a one-way ticket to embarrassing yourself. We had Prince Andrew two weeks ago. Two weeks ago or last week? I don't know. Yeah, last week. Last week. And uh, now we have from uh, this week, Jeremy Corbyn. Now... Jeremy Corbyn's interview with Andrew Neil, who is the editor of The Spectator in the UK, Spectator Australia, Spectator USA, big guy, um, very influential figure. His life is incredible. Like, he's got a TV show where he just roasts suckers week after week. Mm. Like, every new every week there's a new Andrew Neil skewering someone in an interview. Yep. This week it was Jeremy Corbyn. Uh and to explain how bad this is, the Daily Mail deputy political editor has spent today uh, saying people are being told, uh, like Labor supporters are being texted, hey, do whatever you can to drown out the interview, say whatever you want, just drown out all the attention that's going really? to the interview. Now, I'm used to seeing that about an interview with like some backbencher or some inconsequential minister. But so the guy leading the party into an election in a month, that mm. is a new one. So uh, anyway, here's how we want to do this. So I, what I'm going to do... Uh, for people like listening out there, maybe you're listening in Britain, maybe you're just going, maybe it is harder to give an interview. Maybe it is harder to be interviewed these days than it was previously. I want to be up to date with the latest tactics. I want to be up to date with the standards. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Pete a question. Oh, you ask me? I'm going to ask Pete a question. Okay. And Pete is going to answer the question in a way that would be good. Okay. And well, then we're that's a lot chuck- of pressure. <laughs> Well, I uh, did warn you about this. Uh, and then we're going to just see what Jeremy Corbyn chose to answer. So, Pete, yeah. uh, the first qu- question I have here is this. The words Rothschild Zionists run Israel and world government, is that anti-Semitic? Yeah, that's an anti-Semitic trope. People shouldn't say it. Cool. Okay. Vote that is a good way the general to, election. That's a good way to answer. Let's see what Jeremy Corbyn did. I gave you a specific quote. Are the words Rothschild Zionists run Israel and world government, is no. that anti-Semitic? It should not be used, and it is. But you can't say it's anti-Semitic. No, I just said that it should not be used. That's- All right, so not as good. Not as good. Just okay. say, yes, it's anti-Semitic. Just don't say it should not be used. I could be I could be a political leader. I've always said that to you, Pete. <laughs> is- I've always said that. that I would vote thought. for Peter in an election. All right, uh, next one. So uh, interview moves on. There's a bunch of different stories. Uh, he's not doing too well, but the one I want to highlight is he's asked about terrorism. Now, terrorism... Okay. 
Jeremy Corbyn uh, not being as tough on terrorism as other candidates has been a constant theme of the last uh, of his yeah. time as Labor leader. Not being as tough is a not being as tough is a very it. kind way of putting it. Uh, just how many different powers he's spoken to instead of friends of his uh, questionable. So the question was, uh, you know, the US has the attack on our Baghdadi. They get him. Good dog Conan. Well done, good boy. Yep. Uh, and then Andrew Neil says the British public uh, don't really see Jeremy Corbyn as someone that would be able to carry out the attack uh, from the UK perspective. Yep. So if you're asked a question like that, I'm going to ask it to Pete. We're going to see what Corbyn does. Pete. The British people don't believe you'd order the intelligence services if they could get him to carry out the attack on ISIS's next leader. How do you respond? Well, even though he's an austere Islamic scholar, <laughs> uh, he they should. I would tell him to take take him out, and I'd thank them for that. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> glad we got the. And he's an evil life. character, obviously. All right. Okay, that perfect, perfect yeah. political leader way. Man of the people. Let's see what Jeremy Corbyn did. People just don't think you would do this, Andrew. I think we also have to look at how we've created these dangers as well. That means the point I just raised. The point I just raised is a very serious one. It doesn't stop it, him from killing us. Andrew, you have to look to the future as well. Bit of victim blaming going on there from Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, what was Britain wearing at the time? Gotta, Did they provoke the attacks? You've got to look to the future. Uh, so, and the thing is, he's talking about climate change. So, like, the ISIS can be defeated by 30 years ago combating climate change yeah. is galaxy brain stuff right yeah. there. Some, uh, some genius. Anyway, so that's the guy that might be UK's next prime minister, which uh, terrifies us all, uh, but will give us some pretty good clips to talk about in a podcast on the other side of the world. Or vote for Pete. Or vote for Pete. Third party candidate. Only party candidate. Uh, let us move on to uh, another fallen political figure, Pete. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Rudd. Uh, let's talk about his week. Okay. Well, this is another one of the uh, Hinton, the uh, the Hinton, the Hillary Clinton slash Rambo nothing is over award. Roll, roll the tape, Saul. Nothing is over. <laughs> nothing. You just don't turn it off. Now, this is an award, as we I know. I wish Clinton was in Rambo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Casting now, decisions that never happened anyway. Exactly right. So this is an award for people that are struggling to let it go. Last week, we did Malcolm Turnbull, yep. who said that he would have won the election uh, that we just had, no, had he, he been leader. No, uh, he this week, we've got Kevin Rudd. Cool. So fortunately, Australia has so many ex-prime ministers that you know, these are going to come up all the time. Who wrote into, Every six weeks. Every six weeks. He wrote into Jacobin Magazine, which is a democratic socialist magazines, yeah. so probably a lot of fresh new ideas to solve our public policy yeah, issues exactly. in, in Jacobin. If you're a magazine named after the Jacobin party, I think we all know where you stand on the political side. Exactly right. Now, anyway, a bloke called Jeff Sparrow had written in, uh, in Jacobin, uh, bagging Kevin Rudd for his climate policies. Now, Kevin Rudd wrote back, Jeff Sparrow is totally wrong about my record on climate change as Australia's Prime Minister. Now, what a riveting piece that sounds like. I wish, I'm so devastated I missed that. I actually fell asleep there for <laughs> like half a second and realised we were still recording. Anyway, he goes on and says, first, I was far from rattled by Abbott. I'm sure it sure sounds like you're a bit rattled, Kevin. Uh, who's, uh, who then goes on, who was widely viewed as unelectable. Yep. I would point out that he did win an election. Did win an election. Uh, second, I never abandoned the emissions trading scheme, blah, 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 Greens, blah, 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 party unity. Yeah. So, you know, it goes on from there. Now, uh, Kevin, how many people do you reckon read Jacobin. I reckon 13. This is a bit of the Barbara Streisand yes. thing that you love, that Barbara I, Streisand story. I, I taught you the Bar yeah. Barbara Streisand story. Tell See, it to the, to the people. All right, so Barbara Streisand sued a photographer for taking a photo of her house and putting it online. Yeah. Now, before she sued him, the photo had been viewed three times. Yep. And after she sued him and went through the courts, I think it was 250,000 times. Yeah. So, so it's bringing attention to something that you don't want being brought attention to yeah. by going way overboard saying no one pay attention to it. Kevin Rudd, take Barbara Streisand's example. 
There we go. Uh, and uh, the other part I want to acknowledge, and I think it was on, if we can get that screenshot back up for people watching on YouTube, but uh, I'll read it out. And Jacobin also tweeted it like this. Uh, Kevin Rudd was once Prime Minister of Australia. Now he's writing Jacobin angry letters. Yeah. That is like, imagine getting trolled. Like you've gone from Prime Minister to getting trolled by the very magazine that you're providing content to. Yeah. <laughs> like, and... Pray for his next flight attendant, is what I'm going to say. Yeah, well, because she is going to cop an earful. Or he, or he, or he. 2019. That, that original story was definitely a she. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not being sexist. I'm being right. Uh, the <laughs> other part, uh, and it's also nice to know that Jacobin knows its spot. Like it knows it's not the Daily Telegraph. It knows it's not the Sydney Morning Herald. It's like Kevin, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. No, no. We feel bad for you doing this. We <laughs> yeah. don't want to be here. Why, why would you want to be in these yeah. papers? And now they're getting time on the Young IPA podcast. They so this are. Is a big right. week. Uh, okay, we're running a bit long, so let's keep things going. Uh, okay. All right, so here's another one I want to bring up. So this story came out of Britain. So this Deputy Chief Constable Rachel Swan uh, in, over in Britain has said that she's only just rejoined Twitter after she oh. left Twitter. How did she rejoined? She rejoined. The story is that she rejoined, but she did leave Twitter originally over her, her abuse, uh, the abuse she copped over her hairstyle. Now, I don't like social media abuse, any, and I especially don't like uh, social media abuse over hairstyle. Her hairstyle, not even that bad, i got to say. It's just pretty spiky. Well, um, it's that good. Well, you know, well, Peter. <laughs> How dare. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, and the abuse she copped, it, like, from what I saw and from what got in the papers, mm. it didn't even seem, like, as bad as the internet can get. It was a lot of, like, hey, you look like Jedward, which was apparently an English pop group I'd never heard of. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that's not very uh, becoming of a police officer to look like that. She quits Twitter. Uh, now, she originally got in the media because she helped evacuate a bridge and mm. I think saved a fair amount of lives and mm. then just went through Twitter and deleted it all. Now, like, my thing is, you know, welcome to the internet. People, like, Mother Teresa could come back to Earth and someone's going to say you look like Jedward. Yeah. Like, nice it's clothes, always going to happen. Teresa. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Uh, but anyway, why let the trials win? Like, you've done this cool thing, you've saved all these lives, yeah. and now you're letting the Cheezle Brigade get in your head <laughs> from their basements. And, the Cheezle uh, Brigade. Look, I once got That's called good. the lead singer of Flock of Seagulls uh, for my hairstyle when we started filming this podcast, yeah. and I had to Google what that was. So I had to Google image search my own roast, which is like even more uh, uh, brutal. Um, but I didn't complain about it until right now and in my head previously. Uh, anyway, uh, it's also big news for the dam because if that dam ever wants to burst again and destroy yeah. that bridge, it knows like all I need to do is get this police officer out of the way. So I'll just lob a few grenades on Twitter. She'll quit Twitter. She'll be th reading through replies. Then I explode and I destroy a bridge. Like yeah. you've just given the dam the upper hand. Well, as you know, because you're you, we mm -hmm. had a discussion about this, about whether it should go on. And I said, look, I support Rachel Swan for getting off social media because why would police be on social media? Yeah. It's one of 2019's greatest sins. Why should like anyone be on social media? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's a question there's as well. A question. So look, I support Rachel, but I do sort of take your point. All right, so Dan's probably licking its lips. Dan is licking its lips. Uh, and all right, uh, last thing we want to talk about is... Over on Twitter, there has been this like tweet that's been going around for about two weeks of, uh, what is it? Like name a controversial food opinion you have mm. or something like that. Yep. Um, and everyone was just like, you know, oh, this food isn't as good. Or I put ranch dressing instead of sauce on this thing. And everyone's like, oh, I think. Tom Nichols, good no, I, I don't know. Like it, these things are always a bit same, same for me. It's yeah. just like, yeah, well, people appreciate different things. Who would have thought it? Uh, yeah. But anyway, so Tom Nichols is an American writer and he tweeted, Indian food is terrible and we pretend it isn't. Uh, controversial. Um, Incorrect opinion. Um, as it may seem, that would be a controversial opinion. Uh, and 
that should have been the end of it. But it got picked up by like the BBC, got picked yeah. up by Russia Today, got picked up by the Times of India. And that one's been a viral tweet of people going like, well, this is just colonialism. Yeah. To say that a whole uh, rate, uh, like a food of an entire people is bad mm. is not just one person's opinion. It is, uh, you know, colonialism reincarnate. So it, what he's done, Tom Nichols, is up the game. Yeah. Like it's no longer what's a f- controversial food tweet, uh, food belief you have. It is what is a controversial food belief you have that will get you condemned by an entire nation. Mm. Now, Pete, we want to get in on virality. We want to grow this podcast. Let's get condemned by a foreign nation. Well, I have been condemned by a foreign nation a few times, so I've got experience of what that's <laughs> like. But what I would say, and this will definitely get me condemned from this country. Okay. My missus has an Italian background. All right. right? Very proud of their food, the Italians, and rightly so. And I've got to say, you're quite proud of their food as well. I'm like, very proud of it. Daisy walk in just going like, I ate well last night. Well, I watched the first edition of this podcast and the last. You'll notice a distinct difference. Anyway, <laughs> Italian background, and they've got much better food than the Aussies, right? Absolutely. No argument with me on that, but I would but. say, but the Aussies, as in, you know, the Anglos, have improved the pizza. That's outrageous. Italian pizzas, really thin base, yes, a little bit of not exactly. much stuff on top. It's very bready. As, as you want. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, Pizza Hut or do, um, what are they called? Domino's. Domino's. I'm talking about, you know, like a nice pizza, but in Australia with lots of topping and a nice base. We've improved the pizza. You've been condemned by sorry, sorry, Italy sorry, Frank. and 50% of this podcast. That is absolutely terrible. Lorena right, doesn't uh, listen, but her parents do. <laughs> shout out to Lorena's parents. Uh all right, uh, my one is, okay, anything past medium levels of spice, mm. you're just lying to yourself. Like, okay, you are yeah. not actually enjoying your food if you're reaching for a napkin and a glass of water every 10 seconds. Yeah, okay. You're not enjoying the meal. You What you are is you're too deep into a character and you yeah. just pretend to like what you're doing. You like how everyone looks at you eating the food. Yeah, you're trying to be a tough guy. My brother does trying that. Trying to be a tough it's guy. Like, I can eat spicy food. It's like, it doesn't make you a man. Mate. doesn't make you a man and it certainly doesn't mean you're enjoying the meal. All right, that well, is what country the, is that? Of just like uh, any, any the, entire, <laughs> the entire Asian continent. I want to get condemned by a continent. Okay. Uh, all right. That is it for the show this week. Thanks again to Christina Hoff Summers. Uh, and thank you to all the participants in the quiz. If you are listening to us through iTunes, make sure you're leaving us a five star review and maybe leave a comment for the show. Maybe your own controversial fruit opinion to get you condemned by an entire continent or mm. nation. Uh, and if you are watching through. Uh, sorry, if you want to watch the podcast, we're available on the I- Young IPA Podcast Union YouTube channel. And if you have friends and family that prefer to watch their podcast, let them know about it. Subscribe to the channel as well. Yeah. Am I missing anything? Oh, well, we always have to thank Saul. See you guys Every next week. week.